Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you'll find such things as in-depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his second Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus. And as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. And uh, just so glad you're here to study with me, so thank you. I want to invite you to take out your prayer cards. Let's pray before we study the scripture. I did make a couple of copies real quick. Does anybody need one? I did make a final... Finally got to, got here ahead of time to make a couple of copies. They're not on the nice cardstock; they're just paper. Thank you. But you can tuck it in your Bibles. Here we go. Tuck it, in your, tuck it into your iPads or your Bibles. Mine's in my palette. We're all good. Okay. That. Uh, well, let's ask the Lord to enlighten our time of study. Let us pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. John 20, verse 10. We left off with verse 10. It's kind of a bridge verse. And so we begin with verse 10. I'm going to read through verse 18 today. And that that should give us, uh, hopefully we have enough time to to look at all those verses. So let's, let's listen to the word of the Lord, John chapter 20, beginning at verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Saying this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, 
Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said, told them that he said these things to her. Okay, let's let's stop and think about this. This is a fascinating encounter. We we mentioned last week that the the group there was a group of women that went to the tomb. We understood that was Mary Magdalene was one of those women. And remember how they, she went back and it tells us and told Peter and John, you know the tomb is empty. You know where they've taken him, and we remember how they rushed there, and we saw in their rushing there they were, you know, forgetting about the fact that. Wow, you know, we're hunted like Jesus is. Maybe this is dangerous for us, but they throw that care away and they just run, you know, where they weren't willing to be seen around the cross so much earlier. John was, but Peter wasn't. And remember in the garden it said they all uh, fled away from Jesus. But there is this overcoming of fear that brings them back to this idea that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And after seeing this, and seeing this empty tomb, it's, it's a really a, a marked statement that John writes here in verse 10. Then the disciples, meaning Peter and himself, <laughs> then the disciples went back to their homes. What is John communicating to us there? Why would they do that? Why didn't they stick around like Mary? What, what's going on here? Well, they were told to go and wait for the, the Holy Spirit. Not yet. But that's, no, but that's I mean, coming up. They were told about it, but at this point, I don't think they really know what to do. So I think they just went home because they didn't know what else to do. I, I think that we see, I think we, he's going to tell them to wait for the Holy Spirit in, in just a little while, but actually he's promised them that in, mm-hmm. in, in the past. We see in John chapter 16 and things like that, and we'll mention those in a little bit. But the idea of going back home feels like it's a return to something familiar to them. Yes. Well, I just think they, they, they probably thought somebody stole him. Yeah. And they, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. They're, they're troubled, no doubt, but they have no plan. They have not, they're, they're probably realizing, maybe even waking up to the fact that, boy, if we hang around here too long... These Roman guards are going to wake up, or whatever they are, and and we may not want to be here too long. Clearly, he's not here. So they go to their homes, and I think the home recognizes a, a sense of safety, a sense of familiarity. You know, when you're in grief, grief, and you're in shock, and you really don't know what's going on, probably the best place to be is at home. But Mary doesn't do that. Mary, interestingly, stays by the tomb. We don't know about the other women. It doesn't speak to those. The Gospels don't speak to those. But Mary, in standing there, it tells us that she is outside the tomb. And it says that she wept as she looked in to the tomb. Now, there is a word play here that I want to mention to you here. Uh, because both the angels and Jesus ask her the same question. Why are you weeping? 
John tells us up front that she's weeping. And that word, we've looked at that word before. Uh, the, the, the word that, that for weeping is a word that, it's in the Greek, it's kleo. Kleo, you may not remember that. We studied it in, in earlier times. But kleo, I think it's English transliteration is kleo. Uh, K-L-A-Y-O. It's probably the easiest way to understand it in English. Kleo. And it doesn't mean just crying. It means bitterly weeping. Okay, there is great emotion. Wailing. You know you know how they call the western wall in the temple the wailing wall. Okay, uh, the Jews don't call it that, the Gentiles do. Um, this idea of wailing, she's weeping bitterly, loudly. All that's implied in this Greek word. And, and, and so she's, I mean, what could be worse than killing Jesus is stealing his body. Or, or moving it. She's probably thinking, what, what is she thinking? You know, this was the grave that was picked out. It was a nice grave. It was obviously a rich man's grave. It was a, a tomb, really, more than a grave. Where have they taken him? Where would they have taken him? I'm sure her mind is racing. Because we see her ask that very question when, when she thinks, you know, uh, she's talking to a gardener. Uh, but, you know, the angels are sitting there. And, 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 and they, they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? And, and again, we hear the familiar phrase, woman, why are you weeping? What do we hear Jesus say to his mother, Mary, from the cross? Woman, behold your son. But remember Jesus back at the Cana wedding in Cana. And, and he said to her, woman, what is, that, what is that to me? When she asked him to do something about the fact they ran out of the wine. There's the same word again, the same Greek word, gunai. Okay, gunai, or like. Get my pronunciation wrong. G-Y-N-A-I-E. Gune. Okay? That's a, that means woman, a, a respectful term. My lady, uh, you know, lady, woman of great re, great respect. Yes, Dorothy? Do you think she might also have been waiting there in case somebody else came by? Uh, Perhaps. She, she knew that if Jesus was there and she could tell them. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps. We just don't know. But we know from her countenance that she is greatly grieved. Yes? What always interested me is, wasn't there supposed to be guards on the tomb? There were. Where are they? They don't mention these guards here? John doesn't, but the other Gospels do. Okay. Um, And and, she doesn't, you know... I would think if I was there and somebody yeah. rolled the tube away, and they would, I would go, well, "Hey guard, yeah. what happened?" Well, I think Luke. I think it was Luke. I can't remember which one now. One of them says they they were struck as if dumb. Right. So we don't know whether they're sitting there in a trance, whether I mean I don't think they're just normally. I don't think they're normally sleeping, but they're clearly dumbstruck in some kind of coma or trance, and 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 I really think, I mean. What, what would you think if you saw that happen? I mean, if you the ground began to shake, the stones rolled away, I mean, that stuff doesn't just happen, you know. Uh, and who knows what they saw? Did they see angels? I, I mean, angels are spirit, bodiless beings, okay? But when they need to or when God deigns them to, they can take a form. And clearly they do here. But wouldn't they also would have seen Jesus disappearing out of there? I wonder. I don't know. We those are those are fascinating thoughts. If they were dumbstruck, they wouldn't see it. 
Did they see him walk out? I mean, did they say, I don't know. The word doesn't tell us, but we can imagine the shock that they must have had at what was happening before them. Dead men walking. And these are dead men walking, yes. And these are not even believers. These are Roman soldiers, yes. If I were that guard, I'd take off. <laughs> I would have ran. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they knew. They knew the fact that the, the fact that it, the fact that this person quote escaped as the story is going to be, or was stolen as the story is going to be, uh, played out to the Jews. I mean, they could lose their lives for this. I mean, they, this happened under their watch. It said in, it said in one one of the Gospels that that they probably would lose their yeah. lives once Pharaoh found out about, or not Pharaoh, but the. <laughs> The Pharisees, the, the, the yeah, the, the Roman governor. And yeah, people. the governor. The realities are we're dealing with some people here in great shock. Yeah. Okay, there's nothing worse. Nothing could be worse than you're already in grief because your loved one is dead. And then the the grave is empty. The, the body's been so I just, I just can't even imagine that level of grief. So I want you to enter into that part of the story as you try and understand Mary's words and Jesus' words to her. Because the first words spoken to her are from the angels. The angels say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, this is in the form of a question, but yet it's also a statement. Okay? The, the angels see this. Now, in this case, there's two. And it, John's very... Notice the details he gives us about these angels. What do they look like? What details does John give us about the angels' appearance? They're white, okay, they're dressed in white is a symbol always of purity, the brightest white, the purity of heaven, the purity of God, the purity of the light, Jesus is the uncreated light, always this bright, pure color of white is associated with them. We read in the book of Revelation about the white-robed saints, uh, so they're bright, they're white, and it says too that there are two of them, doesn't it? Interesting note, John wanted us to know there were two. It even tells us where they're sitting. There's a detail that's a little different than the other Gospels. John says here that one's sitting where the feet would have been of the body, and one's sitting where the head would have been. That's curious. Because if they were waiting for someone to show up to tell them. Is there a significance to the fact that where they were sitting? Well, let's let's think about it for a minute. I think there's always significance. Okay, when you're learning to read the gospel now, you're reading the Bible for all it's worth. When you say, "Hmm, what is the significance of these little details, these little clues left along the way?" So good for you for asking that question. There's great significance. Let's think about this binary type of existence, the twos. Okay, uh, head and feet. Okay, how many testaments are there? Two, old and new, right? Wow, yeah. um, Jesus refers to himself in the ways of two in the book of Revelation. Do you recall his words? I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. Okay? wonder if there's some commentary here by John. He's sitting where the feet and the head. The beginning and the end. The Old Testament, the New Testament. The body of Christ is no longer here. He is risen and he is complete now. Okay? So maybe one, of, maybe the feet and the head represent the Old and the New Testament. It's all now complete in the resurrection. The story of Christ is all through the Old Testament, as you've heard me tell you many times. 
the, when you really learn to read Scripture for all it's worth, you begin to see Christ is everywhere in the Old Testament. The plan of redemption is everywhere in the Old Testament. Yes? I think the most significant thing is, is that Jesus just conquered death. Absolutely. Conquered death forever. And, and then brought us eternal life. And, and so think about this idea of the old and the new. St. Paul will go on to say in his first Corinthian letter, chapter 5, he says, you know, the old is gone, the new. When a man believes in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Okay? I, I want to think about the head and the feet for a minute. Uh, some of the early Christian fathers, the early church fathers, actually saw some, uh, some significance to this. Well, I'll just mention one to you. St. Augustine in the 4th century said this. Why is it that one, referring to the angels, he says, why is it that one was sitting at the head and the other at the feet? Was it because those who in Greek are called angels, the Greek word is evangelium, okay, uh, who in Greek are called angels are in Latin called newsbearers or nunti. In this way, they signified that the gospel of Christ was to be preached from head to foot. From head to foot, meaning from the beginning to the end. That's what St. Augustine said. So even these little details, uh, and I think he's right, I think it's a beautiful representation of the fact that John is telling, remember John's writing this decades after the other Gospels, and John is writing this to show completion, theological completion in the death, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Theologically complete. The old has now been completed in the new. There's nothing left to do. Jesus is alive. He has conquered death. Amen. So then he goes on. It's a, it goes on here to say, these angels do, this question. Um, why are you weeping? To which she says, Mary says, because they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. Let's compare Mary's language here. Remember when she ran back to... The, the women came to the tomb. They found the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. They ran back to talk to Peter and John. Remember what she said to Peter and John? She said, and I'll just, we don't have to go back and look it up, but I'll tell you. She said, they've taken the Lord. Now she says, what? My Lord. My Lord. Mm-hmm. That's a very significant difference. They've taken the Lord. But now it's, back at the tomb again with Peter and John, it's like, and seeing these angels and something's happening within her, they've taken my Lord. The, 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 the grief is giving way to the underlying faith. Her faith is being realized. This isn't just anybody. This is my Lord. And she is in anguish. Absolutely. Now, let's, let's go a little deeper here. And when she says this, she turns around. This is a fascinating thing. She turns around. So let's try and think about this situation. Why did she turn around? Maybe a couple of reasons. Okay, let's just think about it. Because John doesn't tell us why she turned around. Okay? Perhaps. She realized that somebody was there. Perhaps she realized somebody was there. What if the angels, you know, the first thing that came to my mind, before I get to that, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, in anguish she just said, you know, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Turns around in grief, you know, just drops her head, is moping, you know, this type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we look away, you know, I don't know. But what if 
the ain't Jesus appears mm-hmm. because all of a sudden he's right behind her, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and you got two angels sitting here on the on this rock slab, and and their eyes see the the risen Lord appear. Mm-hmm. And you know she's going to turn to where their head turns, right? Mm-hmm. She's going to yeah. follow their eye movement. I don't know which way it happened. I'm just saying it's pretty awesome that that there is this turning, okay, from. And, and she's turning from, it in a way, represent from grief to faith. Okay, she's already said, this is my Lord. Yes, jump right in. I'm sorry. No, don't apologize. Always jump in. Do you find it strange or anything that he never says in here? I mean, she wasn't surprised or afraid or anything when she saw the angels? Um, I don't know um, if that's a if that's if I'm surprised by that. I, I don't know. I guess I I don't know. I just would have thought. I would be pretty shocked. Yeah. I mean, who's I wouldn't even know what an angel looks like, you know. But it mm-hmm. obviously is something that is extraterrestrial, supernatural. Um, they, they would be in white, and they would give her a calming effect. Yeah. Maybe maybe there was this maybe with this this was amazing presence of being in the presence of something holy. Maybe she turned away. To leave. I don't know. That that could be. See, we don't have that answer. Isn't that interesting? This is the, the part of the beauty of the mystery. And John is writing this years later mm-hmm. and is kind of condensing it. I'm assuming that he's not putting every detail in there. Right. Yeah. And that's one detail. And, and and truly, maybe John didn't know why. Yeah. You know, I mean, he can't, he's not supernatural himself. He can't know everything. But he is being led by the Holy Spirit, of course, to write the things that we know are important to our faith. And, and so as she turns, we can see a representation of faith in that turning from emptiness and doubt, an empty bed, towards the risen Lord. And as she sees the risen Lord, she doesn't know it's Jesus, okay, which is kind of shocking to us. You would think you'd recognize him, right? But yet there's something different. She doesn't recognize him. Until he speaks. Well, he's in his glorified body almost. He is in a glorified body. Yeah. But when he speaks. Now, we don't even know what a glorified body is. And how do, as an old person look, and how do we, you know, do we all pick this perfect, does God give us this perfect age to look like? And the whole thought of age is not even in heaven because there is no time. So I don't know what a glorified body is going to look like. Couldn't Mary be <laughs> totally shocked and so grief stricken that? That's very possible. She's got this overwhelming sense. She's not expecting the risen Lord. She believes he's been stolen or taken or moved. Perhaps even, you know, this was, again, this was the grave of a royal person. It was a a beautiful uh, tomb in which no one had ever laid. It's nearby. It's in a garden. You know, Joseph of Arimathea owned it. He's pretty rich. You know, it could be that she's just thinking, what if they threw him in a mass grave? They said, wait a second, after better thought, this guy doesn't deserve this grave. Let's go throw him in a mass grave, you know, where they just buried a bunch of robbers or, or homeless people or whatever. That happened. There were mass graves or things. And she's like, she asks for the body, doesn't she? Yeah. Just give me the body. I'll take him. She wants to take care of my Lord. He's too important to just have this done to him. Well, she was part of that group that had brought all of the spices and yep. stuff. 
to more or less embalm him. So right, right, right. I'm sure that that's what they had in mind when she said that she would go get him. So when Jesus speaks to her, his words are the same as the angels. Woman, why are you weeping? Now, I think Jesus can have a little bit different reason for asking it than the angels. Okay. Now, the angel, I really believe the angels uh, are asking it from a more of a statement of, of joy. Uh, for them, the resurrection of Jesus is an amazing, joyful experience. I mean, they're probably sitting there going, wow. You know, you know, the, I think it's Paul later that says the angels have longed to look into things that we humans get to know, you know. Go ahead. Hurrah, hurrah. Hurrah. This is joyous. Why would you weep? You know, it's such a joyful thing because the angels don't understand human emotions perfectly. They're not human. Um, but, but yet Jesus has the question a little differently. Number one, it's with the same word, woman. Okay. The beautiful, respectful title. And he says to her, why are you weeping? Okay. He knows the human heart. He knows she's already called him my Lord. And he wants to know, why are you weeping? And so she is still in her grief. She speaks to him. She thinks he's a gardener or somebody that just works around there. Uh, She said to him, sir. Okay. That's an important title there. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I will take him away. She's expect, she really believes Jesus' body's been removed, stolen, whatever, mm-hmm. taken. And he says to her, one word. Mary. One word. Mary. Her name, Mary. That should make us all feel Wow. Wonderful, yeah. To know that that's all, that he knows our name. Amen. I mean, and that's Amen. all it takes to say her name. Do you remember when we studied John chapter 10? That was 10 chapters ago, which could have been a year ago. I don't know how long that's been. But do you remember John chapter 10? When John, the theologian here, is writing about Jesus, the good shepherd. Remember some of those verses? It says that Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And he says, I call them by name. And they follow me. Remember that? John yeah. chapter. Now we're seeing yeah. it lived out. Jesus knows her name. He speaks her name. And guess what? It's true. Jesus' sheep know his voice. And Mary knew immediately that it was Jesus when she heard his voice. Amen. He looked different. Something totally different about his countenance. <laughs> but she knew it was him because only one person had that voice. And it was Jesus. And she cries out to him, Rabboni, okay, which, which, which is a kind of a title, you know, rabbi is a, is a teacher, but Rabboni is this kind of this, this special teacher, this cry of my, my beloved teacher, Rabboni. And, and then what does she do? Rabboni, which, which means teacher, and then she goes to him, and uh, let me turn the page here, and, and it says, Jesus said to her, don't hold me. Now, John doesn't tell us for a fact that she grabbed hold of him. Oh, she'd have hugged him, I guarantee oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting thought. Okay, you, you and I would, you know, we would. And maybe she was moving towards him real quick. Uh-huh. May, we don't know what the distance is between them, okay? All we know is that Jesus says to her, don't hold me. 
Now, we're gonna, this is a curious phrase. This is a very difficult passage to understand. been a lot of speculation on this passage through the centuries, <laughs> through the millennia, really. So we're going we're gonna to explore it just a little bit here. Don't hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. We know the ascension is coming. Okay, the ascension is coming when, when Christ will rise from the Mount of Olives, you know, when he gathers everybody around him, um, 40 days away. But he says, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. There's a whole lot there in that phrase. Oh, yeah. So let's just hold on to that for a minute and let's think about this idea. Jesus, we know that Jesus is different. He is no longer just the God-man from the incarnation that was this great mystery, all God and all man, you know, born to walk in the world. And when Jesus was the God-man before the crucifixion, Jesus never had any problem with people touching him, did he? Remember the woman of faith just reached out to grab his robe? People, go ahead. But after this, before the ascension that everyone saw, he told Thomas to touch him and and seemed like he was not untouchable then. Maybe there were two ascensions, ones we did not see. Fast, fascinating thought. Fascinating thought. We're gonna we're gonna get to Thomas next week. Okay, mm-hmm. when we talk, but, but you, we're gonna allude to it this week. So you, it's good you brought it up. Because really what we're asking here is, does anybody ever really touch Jesus in this? We don't, it doesn't say, and Mary grabbed hold of him and held on tight. Okay. Don't hold me. Now, some of your versions say, don't touch me. Mm-hmm. You use the word touch. Okay. Mine says, do not hold on to me. Do not hold on to me. Uh, there, there could, but, but when we look at this, what is Jesus trying to communicate? Whether she touches him or not. What is Jesus trying to communicate to her? It's interesting to me that she doesn't say, my Lord, like Thomas does when we get to Thomas. And we can't help but bring it up, but we've all read it before. you know. But She doesn't say, my Lord. She says, my teacher. Okay? So I wonder, Jesus, of course, knows the heart of every well, she person. telling him, I mean, he, he's telling her that you need to let me go because I'm going to my father. And your father, my God, mm-hmm. your God, and to, that she needs to let let, let him go. Okay, now I'm talking I th- about not physically. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. I, I don't think Jesus is talking so much about the the physical touch or the physical hold. Okay, now there are some very important Christian fathers who have taught that because Christ was now risen and glorified, you don't. Just touch the holy the same way you touch the human, okay? And and I and I got to tell you, I think there's a lot of truth to that, okay? Now I don't, I'm not going to build any doctrine around it yet, but but I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I do think we don't whether that's the case of what Jesus is saying or not, okay? And we'll have to compare it, Matthew. We'll compare Thomas to this episode as well, because when we, if we were to skip ahead and look at the episode with Thomas. The truth is, what it says is Jesus says, touch my hands, put your finger in my side. But it never says that Thomas did it. It's true. 
Okay. So you see how careful you have to read this scripture? Uh, in that fa- I saw yeah. some I saw some faces just go, aha. Uh-huh. I had never thought about that, but that's that. It doesn't say that Mary grabbed hold of him. It just he knows the intention of her heart. And I think in the heart, he hears her say, Rabboni, not my Lord. I think she sees him. She's just thrilled. Oh, wow, he really is alive. This is my rabbi. This is my teacher. Maybe things are going to be okay. Things are going to always be the way they were. We're going to go back to Galilee. I'll be able to sit at his feet again. I'll be able to listen to him teach. Oh, thank you, God. Everything's going to be okay. That may be what she's thinking. But yet, he can't let her think that because that's not the way things are going to be. Things have changed now that he's risen. Yes? In the past, I've even wondered, it just kind of flashed into my mind that I wonder if maybe he wasn't even touchable. Why did your hands might not <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that, that would make us wonder, but then I think John's going to show us at the end of the last chapter. What does he do? He eats fish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we do know this is a, and there are, there are many, you're not alone in that, Joan. There are many Christians in the early centuries started to teach what became known as heresies about he wasn't physically there. What about our, you know, it's more we, of a ghost type thing. When we go to heaven, it says we're gonna we're gonna have supper with him. Yeah. We're gonna eat with him. Uh, but when we get to heaven, thing to do. But when we get to heaven, we're gonna be glorified too. That's right. Okay. But, but here on earth, she eat. wasn't. We're gonna eat at his table. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. But 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 my point is, she can't. Maybe she couldn't touch him because she wasn't glorified yet. Okay. But it means I can have all the lobster. Let's let's hope uh, that you know the the Greeks had a term called ambrosia, and that was the food of the gods. You know. <laughs> so for all of us, that's probably a different thing. Um, couldn't but, Mary have been holding on to you know, like you said, the teacher aspect of him instead of in. Well, regardless of what was physical here, I think she definitely did have in her heart. I, I feel that John's communicating to us here that that she needs to see the higher work that's happening here. Right. Exactly. The resurrection is about not just going back to the way it was. Right. It's the way it will be. You see? Because Jesus says to her, the words he says to her is, go tell my brothers, tell them that I'm ascending to my father and their father. Is he, he say, my God? Yeah, to my father. My father no, he says, your, your. your. Okay, God tell them, my father and your father. To my God and your God. Exactly. Okay, Jesus is inviting them into an understanding that now that he's risen and glorified, okay, now everything he's ever promised them is coming true. They now have a new relationship with the Father. Amen. He is not just the God of heaven. He is their Father. He is not just someone that they didn't know before. He is someone that they now have a complete relationship with through faith in the risen Christ. You see, there's this, there's this reason why Jesus is so emphatic. My God and your God. My Father and your Father. Yes? Would it be possible that he, after, after Mary... And he did ascend to the to our Father and then return? Have no way of knowing. There's no speculation on that. Anything's possible. I don't think so. But we don't know. Where was he on all the nights? You know, 
you know, he's, he's around for 40 more days. We, we have no record of, of the exact names of the people he saw, but we believe through Scripture that he only, it says he only appeared to over 500 witnesses, but they were people that believed. Okay, so let me, let me make a connection here for you. Before the cross, everyone had access to Jesus. Okay? Even the unbelievers. That's how they would come to faith. He would touch people. He would, they would touch him. He was in crowds. He was being pressed upon. He slept with them. He ate with them. I mean, they, they were in this context of community. But now, he's risen. He's glorified. He is the risen lamb, son of God. And he is somehow different. And he is somehow removed. Okay? That he only appears at certain times. We can't really speculate on what happens when he's not around appearing. We don't know. But the truth is... So maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I, I've never heard any anybody teach that he did. But I do know that, because I think if he had, that would take away from the power of the regular ascension, the one that's going to happen, you know, 10 days uh, before Pentecost. But, but the reality is, he's different. Okay. I think he could do whatever he wanted to. If he wanted to go to the Father for sure, sure, or sure. But we don't want to draw inferences. We don't want to draw inferences on that. What we want no. to deal with is what he did. What we have record of here in Scripture, and the record we have is that now he's different. Okay, now he's different, and we have no record from this point on. We have no record that anyone ever really touched him or embraced him. We don't, it, scripture doesn't say that Thomas did, just that Jesus invited him to. Now, we can infer if we want to, well, he invited him to, so he must have let him. We don't know. But here's what I want to do. I want to comment on this thought, because many, 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 many of the church fathers commented on this thought, and have for centuries. There's a phrase, I think it was St. Cyril of Alexandria said, holy things are for the holy. Holy things are for the holy. Jesus said, in one of his sayings, don't cast your pearls before swine. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, holy things are for the holy. There is this incredibly long passage given here that I just don't have, uh, I just don't have time to read it all to you. I wish I could, but I maybe I could pick out a little part of it. Holy things are for St. Cyril of Alexandria was talking about this. Um, let's see if I can summarize it here for you. The Holy Spirit, he, he, he says, I'll read a little bit here to you. It's too good not to. We've got time. At that time, this is ancient document, 4th century, something like that. At that time, by his providence, meaning Jesus' providence, people who were still unclean and who were polluted both in mind and body, were allowed without hindrance to touch the holy flesh itself of our Savior Christ, to gain every blessing from it. At that time, meaning before the cross, okay? People were allowed without hindrance to touch Jesus, to touch his flesh, to gain blessings from being in his presence, even healings. But after he completed the plan of our redemption, having suffered death on the cross and rising to life again, he showed that his nature was superior to death. And so from then on, instead of granting them access, he hinders those who come to him from touching the very flesh of his holy body. 
In this way, he gives us a type of the holy church or churches and the mystery concerning himself. Just as also the law given by the all-wise Moses itself did when it represented the slaughter of the lamb as the figure of Christ. For, quote, no uncircumcised person, end quote, said the law of Moses, shall, quote, therefore eat thereof, end quote. Meaning by uncircumcised someone who is Im- someone who is impure. And humanity may justly be deemed impure in its own nature, for what is the nature of a human being as compared with God's inherent purity? We may not, therefore, while we remain uncircumcised, that is, impure, or I might even say, I'm reading into his words here, unsanctified, okay, touch the holy body, but only when we have been made pure by the true circumcision of the Spirit. As, therefore, the Holy Spirit had not yet been sent down to us, for he had not yet ascended to the Father, So he repulses Mary as not yet having received the Spirit, saying, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to the Father. That is to say, I have not yet sent down to you the Holy Spirit. And so the type is applicable to the churches. Therefore, also, this is the just a couple more sentences. Therefore, also, to those who wish to partake of the Blessed Eucharist, okay, St. Cyril's drawing an example to Holy Communion, okay, the ministers of divine mysteries, that would be, you know, a pastor or a priest who's serving the communion, may say, holy things are for the holy. Teaching that participation in holy things is the due reward for those that are sanctified in the Spirit. Now, I find this a fascinating dialogue, a fascinating line of thought. We don't know that anyone really ever touched Jesus, for sure. Well, that means then until we were infilled with the Holy Spirit, that we're, you might say, unclean, we're, we're still carnal. Yes. And so we can't touch him because we're still carnal. And that makes sense. It does make sense in that... You see, we're, we're always looking at this in retrospective. Uh-huh. We've been Christians for many years in this room. We've been saved and sanctified, and we're believers, and we're pursuing holiness, and we're trying. That's why we're in this room on a Thursday morning. We're pursuing holiness. We want to learn. Amen. We want to grow in our faith. And, and so we, we feel Jesus all around us, and we receive communion often, and we believe. you know. So we're on the other side, but they weren't. That's right. They were still in their flesh unsanctified, if you were, impure, until being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think there is a marked importance to what St. Cyril is saying here in this word impure and comparison to purity because that's the heart of our theology as Wesleyans, as, as Nazarenes, as our understanding that we believe that with the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can be made pure different, holy, not just the same as before. That's a huge line of thought. I know we could teach a whole class on that, and someday we probably should uh, and will, and, and I've done little things uh, along that way. But, but for now, I, I just want you to think here with me. You know, 
Jesus promised them in John chapter 14, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back to receive you. He said to them in John chapter 16, he said, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send you the Holy Spirit. None of that's been fulfilled yet. What has been fulfilled is the plan of redemption. Jesus Christ is risen. He's crucified, dead, and risen, as we say in the creed. Okay? Now, what difference does it make that he hasn't ascended yet? It makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. So when we properly speak of the fullness of God's plan of redemption, it is not just crucifixion, risen and crucifixion, death and risen. Okay, it must be crucified, died, risen and ascended. Why do I say the ascension is so important? Because if, if Jesus said it many times, if I don't go, okay, I can't send you the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to see me in my Father's heaven. You know, I, I'm, you, you get the connection here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it, it's a part of the full providential plan. And then, of course, after the ascension, after the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're invited to live pure lives. The life of Christ in this flesh. The life of God. And with that invitation, we are then allowed, upon our death, physical death, to be joining him in eternity. I mean, what could be more beautiful? I mean, do you see, I, I just want you to get a scope of the fullness of the plan here. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I, and I want to, the, the last few, we've covered these scriptures. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything in my notes here. There, there is another thought I want to give to you in my notes here. I want to end with the thought of, of, of the fullness of God's providential plan that Jesus is pointing to with his waiting till the ascension. Um, but but i got to read this to you. This is too good. In Mary's heart, Mary Magdalene's heart here, okay, Jesus sees her heart. We know that. Mm-hmm. He sees everyone's heart. He sees her anguish. He sees her fears. He sees her tears. He sees her love. He sees her faith. He sees her doubts. And uh, there is a beautiful hymn written in the 6th, 5th century. Okay? The 5th uh, century was a period of in the Byzantine Empire that was, pro, that was prolific for hymnography. Okay? Hymns. The hymns of the church, the hymns of the faith, the hymns that the church sang in worship back in those years, okay? And there was a, a certain man who was a, a deacon, I believe, in the church, in the Eastern Church in Constantinople. His name was Romanus, Romanus, or Romanus, or Romanus, or however you want to pronounce it, Romanus, okay? Romanus the Melodist, he's known as, <laughs> for writing melodies, okay? It says that he wrote over a thousand hymns. Okay, in the Greek, those are called kantakion. Kantakion. Okay, the Greek kantakion, they're still sung today in Greek worship, in, in Eastern Christian worship. Okay, but one of them, you got to hear this one. He wrote this one. He who searches the hearts and reigns and watches over them, knowing that Mary would recognize his voice like a shepherd, called his crying lamb, saying, Mary, she at once recognized him and spoke. 
Surely my wonderful shepherd calls me in order that from this time forward he may number me among the nine and ninety lambs. For I see behind him who calls me the bodies of the saints, the ranks of the just. And so I do not say, Who art thou who callest me? For I know clearly he who calls, he who is, I, I know clearly who he is who calls me. It is my teacher and my Lord, he who offers resurrection to the fallen. That's from what is known as the Kentuckian to the resurrection. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, what a glorious time it must have been in the world when when the world was so slow and moving that all you had, you could just sit around all day and think about writing hymns, you know. I, I mean, today we're so, dr- I, I, I want to do that, you know. I, wanna, I, I don't want to give up, I don't want to give up my modern luxuries for the fifth century because life was hard. But what a glorious thing it must have been to just have all the time in the world to sit and reflect on all this stuff. Um, but but I, I want to close this thought with you this morning that I really believe what John is trying to communicate to us here is that after the resurrection, the the body of Jesus is now glorified, as our body will one day be glorified. Okay? And we treat it with holiness and reverence and respect. Okay? And they had, he wanted them to treat it with holiness, reverence, and respect. Yes, he invites us into relationship. He, He teaches us to call Father Abba, that's that our Aramaic comforting word like daddy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, he teaches us this. This is our relationship. But never should that relationship forget the holy. Mm-hmm. So here's my closing thought to you today. How do we live this life in the tension between the sacred and the not so sacred? Is there anything sacred in your life? Yeah, definitely. Is there anything sacred in your life? Is there anything sacred still in our world, in our churches? Because i got to tell you, I'm troubled by the state of too much of our faith today, that nothing's sacred anymore. Nothing's sacred. And I'm not talking about hymns versus choruses. I'm not talking about hymns. I'm talking about just holy ground. I'm talking about coming into his presence. I'm talking about reverence for the sacramental nature of, of, of taking Holy Communion or being baptized. Or, we just move through this stuff willy-nilly anymore. And, and we it approach mean, it different. It used to mean something when you said you're a Christian. I just think we've got something to learn here about the sacredness of things. Yes. Well, in today's society, it just seems like more and more everybody wants to try to Make believe there was no God, there was no Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They, they don't want to recognize the fact that there was. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it's time that we, who name the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. we who are His disciples, His apprentices, His followers, we must live different than the world. Amen. That's right. Yes. I'm reading this book, and it's about a missionary kid, um, and she comes to the United States to go to college, but when she was in China with her parents, they were helping uh, North Korean refugees. Mm. And she went to church for the first time here in the United States from being raised over there. Yeah. She said she went in, she sat on the back pew, 
There was a guy over there strolling through his phone. Yeah. Kids running around, people just mm-hmm. chit-chatting. Mm-hmm. She said when they had worship at her father's house in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. in they China. came in, they came in, they went straight to worship, tears running mm. down their eyes. Wow. And in singing songs very softly mm. because they did, you know, there was... This was a precious experience that they couldn't take for granted. Right. Right? And, and she was just seeing the contrast yeah. between how it was here in the United yeah. States to what she had been used to in China. I, I, I'm, I'm just bearing my soul to you guys. I'm just troubled. Right. I'm troubled by the state of American modernity in its lackadaisical, or whatever the word is, approach to the holy things. The holy awe. The respect for the, 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 the sanctuary of God. Um, this is why in the ancient church, you know in the ancient church, the, the, even the, the makeup of the buildings were different. Okay, what, what we commonly think of as the sanctuary, the whole area inside that room, you know, that, that, that's not the sanctuary. Okay, in the ancient church, uh, the way churches were first designed in this world, and they still are in, in some more uh, liturgical churches, the sanctuary is up around the altar. Okay? But the place where people are gathered, in the seats or the pews, and in the old churches they didn't even have seats and pews, they stood, is called the nave. Okay? The nave. Isn't that an interesting word? The nave. You know, that's where they get the word navy. It's a vessel that carries people. Okay? Um, like the ark was a vessel that carried people, and the church is like an ark of salvation, and the vessel where the people gather. But in the sanctuary is the was the holy of holies in the old temple, in the you know, the old temple in Jerusalem, and that now even in Christian worship, what they did was they built their churches so that there was a place that was reserved for reverence. You know, you didn't you didn't treat it just the same way you did the the nave, if you will. Okay, so and I'm not. I'm not advocating that every church has to be built that way. I, I believe, <laughs> but I do believe that every place of worship needs to have something set apart and sacred. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I when I was in Boston a couple of years ago at the National Funeral Directors uh, Association, uh, and I've told you about that, but on that Sunday morning I got up and I went to a church at, it was called St. George's Albanian Orthodox Church. Always get very, being, having been a pastor for over 20 years, very few chances to ever visit other churches. And I'm in a new city. I'm a seek one I, I'm interested in. So I looked up which one's nearest me and I went. And, and the people were so kind, so gracious. And I've told you that story before. But what I haven't told you is this. Um, as I was on my way home from, I mean, back to the hotel, one of the church members after the lunch, they invited me to the Albanian lunch. It was so good. Um, I won't even tell you what the food was like because it's almost <laughs> noon. Um, and, and you're all hungry, I know. But it was good. <laughs> um, but in that, in that process, one as a, a lawyer in the city of Boston, he's a member of the church, long-time member of the church. He's, I'm going to give you a ride. Come with me. And he's just so gracious. We're driving through the streets of Boston. And, and I'm saying, he's, I, I'm saying, you know, I got there an hour early. I was reading some of the history of the church. And this was for the Albanian immigrant people. This church was like, Wow. It was a miracle. And when the first Albanian immigrants came over, they didn't have a church, okay? And the Albanians were very poor. 
very poor, and they were uh, people coming, escaping communist rule. And in that, they worshipped in a warehouse. And, and he showed me there was this warehouse, and they worshipped. And every week, the people took a special table that would serve as the altar for the priest. And very special icons that they kept in very special safe places. Because it was they didn't own this warehouse. They were being let use this warehouse. But they set up church in this warehouse. They set up the sanctuary in this warehouse. And it was, in those moments, sacred and holy. Monday morning, back to being a warehouse. Do we have times in our lives today where we find the sacredness around us? We must find the sacredness, because it's in the sacredness that God displays his beauty. Remember the beautiful, uh, worship the Lord in the beauty and splendor of holiness. The beauty, it's lost in some of our secularism. and, and So I, I just want to encourage you. Is there anything... Let's just give, let me give you some marching orders here. It's 11.59. This week, as you sit down to pray, because I'm assuming you all pray every day, okay? I'm assuming that you, if you haven't, you will, make a special place to pray. Maybe it's not a closet like Jesus. I mean, they didn't have closets like we do today. Jesus said your prayer closet. I really believe he meant a place, okay? But have a place. If you don't have it yet, make it. Go home. This is where I pray when I'm in my home. This is where I daily worship God. And then you hold your Bible and look at it and make some sacred space around you. Light a candle. It's beautiful. You know what happens when you light a candle? You All of a sudden you feel like you're maybe in the throne room of heaven because there's seven golden candlesticks all around God's throne. Isn't that beautiful? What's wrong with lighting a candle? Light a candle. It's a remembrance of what you're doing. Your prayers being offered up to God. And then take your Bible and then, or your prayer book or your devotional, whatever you have, and, and sit there and hold it and just in quiet for a minute. And think about the fact that the, ris- the crucified, dead, risen, glorified, ascended Christ is right there with you in your midst through the Holy Spirit because that's what he waited. He waited for us to touch him through the Holy Spirit. And in the Holy Spirit, we touch him. When you begin to pray, that if you'll do that, maybe you do it every day, I don't know, but if you'll do that, your prayer time gets transformed. Wow. Daily worship of Almighty God gets transformed. And of course, we're called to pray at all times and all without ceasing, and we've got to go about our days. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. But if you begin your day with that, oh, wow. Will it transform the rest of your day? Amen. So... That's my marching orders to you. Go create a prayer closet of sacred space around you. Yes, Debbie. Just one of the closest encounters I had with my Lord was in the chapel in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And I Beautiful. really believe that the hospital chapels is where I mean, sacred. when people go there, I mean, it's... They're in great need you know, and they're and seeking. Yeah. Yeah. And it was at that time when my dad was in the hospital mm. that I felt... Yeah. How? come upon me like Mary I thought I I couldn't see the Lord but then, that's right but then I'm in there and I turn and 
who was through his eyes on the sparrow looking through the hand. Absolutely. And it just he just came to me there. Absolutely. When you go to the Holy Land, what do you see? You see chapels everywhere. Yeah, and that chapels in the hospital, most people when they go there, it is for Great need. Right. Yeah, great need and great despair. Yeah, that's right. It's good, beautiful. Well, guys, thank you for being here. Let's, let's. Uh, yeah, Kent, one more thought? No, okay, let's, let's pray. Close in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word to us this morning, for the beautiful, precious, holy sacredness of your holy scriptures. I do not dare to teach them from my point of view, but I offer up what has been taught, what has been said to you and your spirit. Cover anything that I've said that's wrong. Bless anything I've said that's right. Be with us as we go from this place to remember that we are never away from your presence through the power and the promise of your Holy Spirit. So we praise you now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry. And I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as He forms His Spirit within you.